What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Crawford Talks. I'm Jake Kaplan of The Athletic, joined, as always, by my co-host, Mike Meltzer. And today we have a guest. Uh, We are honored to be spending time today with the Hall of Famer, Jason Stark. Jason, how are you doing in day three million of the MLB, MLBPA (laughs) battle? I'm living the dream, just like you guys. Is that is that the right answer? <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. That's not what your column yeah. suggests. No, things are going smoothly. That's what I see. <laughs> the commissioner said uh, during the draft that there's going to be baseball. There's a 100% chance of baseball. So at least there's that. Yeah, at least there's going to be, a, as a fallback, a 46-game jammed-in-there season <laughs> that everyone's happy about, right? Nobody's going to be happy, but I, you know, look, <laughs> he's been signaling this for a week or so. Um, you know, that March 26th agreement, the one thing that's pretty clear is he has the right to set a schedule and he's just been indicating, I'm going to set it. Right. And when he sets it, then he basically is forcing the players to play and they don't have a lot of choice they cannot strike as a group that's illegal can't strike in the middle of a labor deal which this still believe it or not we still have one uh (laughs) and you know i'd like i'd rather have them play than not play but there's just so much wrong with having it end this way as i wrote we can talk about all the reasons it's so wrong but wherever you guys want to go with it from here i'm ready (laughs) well let me start with that jason so the 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 commissioner imposed 48, 50, 52 game season. Do you have a sense for what date Manfred would say, okay, we're done negotiating. Here is your 50 game season. Uh, we're about there. Um, I'm hearing it's got, they've got to figure this out basically by the start of next week. Um, wow. Okay. Baseball, as he said, is going to make a new proposal heading into the weekend. <clears throat> You know, I'm just going to guess it's going to be something along the lines of 75 games for 75% of the prorated salaries, probably throw in some stronger postseason guarantees than what was in the last deal. But, you know, this union has never budged from the idea that they have to get 100% of prorated salaries. So if this proposal goes the route of all the previous proposals, meaning nowhere, then Early next week, he'll just announce this schedule of 50 or 54 or 48 or 47, I've even heard. And then, I don't know, the players' options are pretty limited. They have to play. But, hey, then there's another thing. You know, we're hearing people in front offices express a lot of concern that there will be star players on guaranteed long-term deals who just opt out. And... And then what happens? You know, I keep thinking about this. I actually asked it in a column like three weeks ago now. What happens if you hold a season and Garrett Cole doesn't want to play and Max Scherzer doesn't play and Clayton Kershaw doesn't play? I mean, I don't know that those guys specifically would not play. I'm just throwing out names of players who have expressed some kind of concerns. But, like, you get the idea. I, I definitely think there will be players who don't play, who opt out. Um that's just one more reason that people are going to look at this season and think this isn't a real season. 
it, it's almost like the it would be like the uh, baseball equivalent to when in in football in college football the the players sit out the the bowl games right because they don't want to get hurt or, or they don't feel comfortable yeah. uh, risking their it's future and say you have a free agent um, like George Springer or Mookie Betts or JT Real Muto like the the top free agents coming up what's you know that's a, a risk you probably have to consider is, you know, right. for such a low salary relative to what you signed up for, uh, is it worth it to, to play a 47 game season? Yeah. And that's like, that's, I mean, there's, again, that's a really tricky issue. Okay. Let's take Mookie or George Springer. Um, you know, the, the player's last proposal was anybody who opted out would get full service time. Um, the, that's, you know, if the owners implement a schedule, that's not going to happen. I would say I can't foresee any agreement where owners would sign off on that. Um, mm-hmm. But let's just say George Springer opts out. So he doesn't get service time and he doesn't get paid. So he's not a free agent, but he also doesn't have a contract for next year. How would somebody like that get handled? Mm. I don't have an answer for you. But that's, uh, yeah, that, these are the, that's these are the things that, that are going to arise now that we just – people haven't really anticipated every twist and turn in this road, and there are a lot of them. Jason, when you say you've heard about star players, the possibility of them, of them sitting out, is that because of health and safety reasons? Or what would be the reason for those guys sitting out of even a very shortened season? Uh, I'm going to guess that every one of them would say it's for health and safety reasons. They don't feel – safe they don't feel comfortable something along those lines and i i think we would know who has reason to think that and who doesn't um it's never our place to tell anybody when they should feel safe or what they should feel safe about and i've I've been you know i just wrote a piece about coaches and managers who would be considered high risk and what how they would handle it. And Hey, a lot of the comments on the story were people saying, Hey, I go to work every day and I, you know, I know there's a risk. How come baseball players can't do it or coaches can't do it. And I I tell them all, it's just not our place to tell people whether they should feel safe. That's their decision. But I don't think there's any doubt that there would be different classes of people opting out. You have people who have defined health risks who are clearly high risk and even baseball has acknowledged they would get salary and service time. And that would be cancer survivors, Anthony Rizzo, John Lester, that group. Uh, anybody who's had any kind of heart issue or type 1 or type 2 diabetes or whatever it may be. Um, it would be just the CDC definition of who's considered high risk. Uh, those players are going to get full salary and they're going to get full service time. And that would be something that I would guess everybody would accept and understand. I guess I shouldn't say everybody. But then you'd have two other groups. You'd have a group who they're not high risk, but they have family members who are at high risk. And then where do you draw the line at that? Does it have to be just your wife? Does it have to be just your wife and kids? Suppose your aging parents or grandparents live with you and they're high risk. Um, how would that be defined? That they That was... That's been part of these negotiations that's never been agreed upon. And then the third group is just players like we're talking about who just opt out. And I don't think there's any doubt that some of them would be opting out 
for reasons other than health and safety. But I, I don't think many, maybe not any, will say that. I, I One point you just brought up about players with family members who they're concerned about. I don't understand why MLB is pushing back on, on those players um, who have family members who might be at risk opting out. It seems like, you know, very reasonable, more than reasonable for a player to um, have concerns about playing and contracting the virus while at the ballpark and then going home to their family member who might be at risk. Like that, that seems like if you're going to, um, you know, allow the opportunity for the at-risk player to opt out, that you should also extend that to family members who might be at risk, right? Well, that that certainly seems reasonable. It certainly seems reasonable to those players. I've talked to them. I, I, you know, I know of at least two players who have said privately, when this season begins, however, in whatever form it begins, um, because they have family members who are defined high risk, they are going to live apart from their family for as long as they play. And that that's, to me, that's really difficult to process. But on the other hand, I, you know, I, I think baseball would argue it's very hard to define that. Um, I mean, to me, a wife or, or children, that should be part of it. But that they're, that's not part of the definition right now. Could have been negotiated. Um, and that's the problem. It's a slippery slope. They can't define it. And because they can't define it, they don't want to agree to it. And I think their stance is, you know, look at people who are on the front lines working at hospitals and emergency rooms. Uh, they're doing that. They're separating from their families because that's what they feel they have to do. And that's what they're apparently going to force these players to do. It, it's a tough situation. Jason, you've written so well in your last couple of columns, the, the memos that you've put that you've put out there for The Athletic about the opportunity that's being missed by Major League Baseball by driving off this cliff. I know we're at the point where we know we're going to have some kind of season, whether it's 72 games, 76, or the imposed 48 or 50. What's the reaction to your columns been around baseball? Do, do both sides, do people sense the massive opportunity missed that you've put so eloquently in those columns? Some people. Uh, you, know, I, uh, you know, the second column just dropped. So I'm, I'm just starting to go through all, all the comments now. I did get a I did get a message from a major league coach yesterday nominating me for both commissioner and union head. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> but after the after the first column, uh, I I don't know that I've ever heard from more people in baseball than I heard from after that column because I, you know the opportunity is a big part of it. Everybody understands. What could have happened if you're the first store, first sport to play? Uh, you know, maybe July 4th was never realistic. Maybe that was never going to happen. But let's just assume baseball had a, a couple of weeks or three weeks before the NBA started when they were the only team sport on the sporting stage. And people were going to watch. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned in my most recent column that more people watch Tom Brady and Peyton Manning play golf than watch the final round of the PGA Championship. Right? <laughs> and that's a sign that people will watch stuff right now because they miss sports so much. And who knows how many of the people that would have been watching 
were casual fans who had kind of drifted away from baseball, hadn't been paying the attention they used to pay, and maybe they would have realized there's an incredible group of magnetic star players now, and the game is still great when they play it. That would have been an incredible opportunity that's going to be lost. Now the entire thing is going to be played opposite the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs and then the, and the NFL training camp and season. And after not coming to an agreement and then playing this 50-game supposed season opposite all those sports, I, and I've just been flooded from messages from fans over the last couple of weeks saying, I'm not going to watch. Like, tell me what time LeBron starts. You know, I'll watch it. I'll watch that. And I'm just just concerned that that's a monstrous opportunity that baseball has just wasted because of dysfunction. For our listeners who haven't seen Jason's uh, newest column, it is headlined, Another Memo to Baseball, Don't Drive Off This Cliff 2.0. It dropped on June 10th, Wednesday. Um I guess the the premise I took away from it is is the quote about you know sometimes being right is not do, as important as doing what's right. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot since reading the column. Um, if you know you had been uh, commissioner or union head, <laughs> which I think we would all want uh, right now, what would you have done? Uh, differently a month to six weeks ago? Or what would, What do you think they should have done differently, uh, you know, weeks ago? Well, I, I, you know, I've been around long enough to have covered many labor negotiations. Not proud of it. I didn't enjoy much of it, but I've done it. And so mm-hmm. I've seen how deals get done. And, you know, one of the things I tell Ken Rosenthal almost every day is, like, don't get so hung up on the play-by-play because that the play-by-play always looks bad. Um, you know, the latest side to receive an offer always wants to make it look bad, to put pressure on the other side. Uh, the thing to do is always to take a step back and ask yourself, where does this go next? <laughs> the problem with these negotiations is it never went anywhere, right? There right. was never any sense of back and forth. I always try to describe this through the prism of, a tennis match. Like what it should be is you hit a ball over the net, I hit it back. And, you know, we have an incredible 13-shot rally and it produces something memorable. That hasn't been this. This has been, I don't know what, serving practice? I fire a ball <laughs> over the net and you just look at it go by and then you hit one back and I, I watch that go by. There's been no sense of even conversation. And, you know, I've, I've looked at these offers and if one side is going to get hung up on whether or not they have to get 100% of prorated salary, and that's the only principle that matters, it's the only play in their playbook, then how do you get past that? You know, in a normal negotiation, you would look at the ideas in a proposal and instead of trashing them because it's not 100% or on the on the underside, trashing them for any other reason, um, you would say to the other side, look, I can't do this. You know I can't do this. But what about that? And what about that? 
And what about that? And try to find some other ways to solve the problem. You know, there's a lot of ways to find value in playing and measure who who will make what amount of money because you play. And like for Major League Baseball, I understand why they're fighting against the idea of uh, 100% because somehow or other, they can't agree on what they agreed on two and a half months ago, <laughs> okay? That's a, which is the, just the most incredible thing ever. <laughs> yeah. But all right, like, if you look at the Ken Rosenthal proposal that he just made, 72 games, full prorated salary, he also lists all the benefits that Major League Baseball would accrue if they did that. One is not just an expanded postseason, but a greatly expanded postseason for two years versus if you just implement a schedule, there'll be no expanded postseason. And so, you know, somebody did the math on this. And if you played, if you had eight teams in each league made the playoffs, and then you played the first round best of three, you could potentially have as many as 59 postseason games to sell to your Hmm. broadcast partners. And how much extra revenue would come from that? And that's not just for one year. That's for two years. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if, if again, like what I would have done on either side is started the negotiations with a sense of common purpose, a sense that this is not the time for either of us to win or lose. This is a time to solve this for the betterment of our sport and because our country needs needs some semblance of normalcy and maybe we can provide that let's do what we have to do for the country and we'll get around to the big fight in a year and a half but that sense of common purpose has never existed from day one so there's been no sense of conversation free exchange of ideas a sense of we got a problem let's solve it and that's Mm -hmm. where why we are where we are well jason it seems like i think we're about three weeks into into this negotiation do you think there's been one serious offer made by either side? Um, it depends how you define serious. Uh, if you ask them, they'd probably say no. Um, you're asking me as a fairly neutral observer who doesn't think this is all any sides, any one side's fault. I think it's really they both share the blame. Uh, I think there have been ingredients in every proposal that could have been topics for conversation if there was a conversation. I know I say this a, a thousand times, but of all the words you would use to describe what they're doing, is conversation in the top thousand? <laughs> and they're not having that conversation. Um, they've each made proposals that they know the other side will not accept. The problem is that the other side doesn't look over the range of ideas and see a path to a deal um, because they don't want to. They're drawing a line in the sand on these prorated salaries and neither side can get past that line. And, you know, even with all the money talk and the bickering over the financial aspects, they still haven't agreed on the health and safety protocols, right? Like that's kind of gotten lost a little bit in the last couple of weeks. But like, didn't didn't the players want more testing than MLB had uh, proposed? And and I don't think they 
they just kind of like moved on to the money stuff right after that that 67 page report well they they've been talking about the health and safety stuff um after that 67 page list of protocols came out they then uh they 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 got a bunch of feedback from the players they got feedback from the clubs I don't know how many pages that thing's going to wind up being <laughs> in the end, but it's going to be more than 67. Um, hey, they didn't even fill out the section that talks about you and me, right? They, we, don't know even, we don't even know what the rules are going to be 100% for whether the media is allowed in the park or ever allowed to talk to anybody. Uh, that's, a, that's a whole aside that that's yeah. just for us. <laughs> the, the people listening don't have to care about That's it. That's another podcast. <laughs> it's a, yeah, we'll That's probably beyond that the scrum with, with Mark Craig <laughs> and Andy McCullough. <laughs> yeah, there might be a scrum, but that, that, let, let's put that aside. Uh, they're going to figure that part out, and I think it'll evolve over time. Um, it's a big... Look, it's a big deal. Uh, the you, if you don't have the health and safety stuff figured out, you can't play. Right. Uh, and in there, the commissioner cannot even set the schedule unless there's some semblance of an agreement on health and safety, and it behooves both sides to figure that out. Uh, I'd be really interested to see where they land on testing because the NBA has already said we're testing everybody in our bubble every day. Um. I know players have told me they're extremely worried about the idea that they might only get tested twice a week and somebody might mm-hmm. be walking around a, a clubhouse for three days um, not knowing they had the virus and how many people they might infect. And then, I, like, I don't know what happens if a star player gets sick or the entire Astros rotation tests positive. I, I think there'll, there'll be some rules in there. But I, I think when that happens, public reaction is going to be a factor, don't you think? Yeah, and I, I just I, I I I've heard the same thing from players, you know, especially you know with the Astros, they have four coaches, as you detailed in your story last week, who are sixty or above, and three who are seventy or above. Um, if you're a player and you get the virus and you don't know it for a few days, that's not good for anyone uh, in that room. So, I, yeah, I. I completely agree with you, and I think testing every day is necessary in this scenario, I think. Yeah, well, you know, one thing they've been saying privately is they think that by the time they actually, um, I don't know if play the season, but by the time they actually get to this spring training 2.0, that there will be, the, the, the testing technology will have advanced to the point that they they hope they will be able to test daily or close to daily, but you know they're they're going to do this differently than the other sports where they're going to they're going to travel, mm-hmm, they're right. going to let players go home at night, and those players are going to interact with other people who are not getting tested all the time, and that's why baseball is in you know if they're going to do it this way, is in a much more difficult situation than the other sports who are going to try to do this in the bubble. Um, you know, I, I would hope that nothing arises that throws these plans to play on a bad track because of health and safety, but these are impossible things to predict. Jason, if it's an imposed, let's say 50 game season, 
how would you personally evaluate the legitimacy of whatever happens in terms of a world of a World Series winner? Does it depend on how the season plays out? As in, if the favorites start to win, the Yankees, the Astros, the, the Dodgers, it's more "quote unquote" legitimate. Versus if it's if it's a team that we thought was definitely not going to make the playoffs, it all of a sudden makes a deep playoff run, it's less legitimate. What do you think about the fifty games from a historical perspective? <laughs> Well, they, they, they've got a challenge on their hands trying to convince people that 50 games is a season. You know, we all know what a baseball season looks like. That's not it. <laughs> <laughs> I think everything about it will be considered an aberration. You know, in my most recent column just talked about the team that won the World Series. The Washington Nationals started out 19-31. and 31. That was their record after 50 games. You know who else had a record of 19 and 31 after 50 games? The Detroit Tigers. Uh, that's, how, that's what 50 games means in a regular old baseball season. The Nationals had time to get their act together and go win the World Series. And the Tigers had time to go off and lose 114 games and pick first in the draft. 50 games of a baseball season is what? Like a station break. You know, we'll be back <laughs> after this in a moment. And... There's so many aberrations that are, are possible in a 50-game season that we should all be prepared for that, that everything about this will be considered an aberration. And there's another issue that goes with it. I, I just was talking to an executive uh, of a team that made the playoffs last year, and he said, hey, like, here is my worry. People are going to be so unhappy that this is the number of games we're playing that we're going to have to hear every single day that none of this is legitimate. Mm-hmm. And so, all right, you might think we're going to play, everything's fine. People focus on on what happens on the field, but there's going to be this soundtrack, this background noise of people complaining that this is all you were able to get done. The, just the whole thing has been, it's just been embarrassing. Don't you think? It's just like the embarrassment of being this dysfunctional at a, at a time like this in America, where you can't even agree on what you agreed on two and a half months ago, and then you're going to fight about money nonstop with 40-something million people out of work, it's just embarrassing. Yeah, I, I don't know what who you talk to within the game, Jake. I talk to people all the time who use that word all the time. I'm embarrassed to work in baseball. I'm sickened by this. These are people who work in the game. Yeah, the word mess wow. comes up a lot. Yeah, mess. I use yeah. it myself. It describes it well. Yeah, I. It's all. It's like say, let's say the fifty game thing happens and no one's happy. Fans don't view it as legitimate. I'm sure fans would start to you know as soon as their their team has a Nationals 2019 Nationals like start or a to localize it 2005 Astros like start. Um, they'll start marking time till the off season and free agency and what can their team do. And uh, even, even if there is and in this scenario, I guess there wouldn't be expanded playoffs. So they wouldn't even, you know, have that outside hope of bouncing back quickly. Um, you know, how do you, if you're a, a front office, like let's say you're, you're the Astros, James click, you have a manager on a one year deal. You have a bunch of prominent free agents. Like what do you even like make of the 50 game sample as you evaluate the team for 2021. Uh, and how do you move forward? Like, what do you, do you even count this year in your evaluations? Like that's something I'm curious about down the road. Well, it's, you know, I guess you'd have to say it's more than a zero game 
the valuation. So 50 is better than zero. In almost every way, 50 is better than zero. But yeah. I almost look at it like kind of, what do we make of, we had a spring training. Remember that? <laughs> Did it, is any of that relevant? <laughs> Did anything that happened back in February and March in West Palm Beach mean anything? I don't know. You're going you're gonna to be making judgments based on the smallest sample size any teams have ever had to make these judgments on. And I, I think it'll all have to be done with that in mind. But, I mean, we just had a draft based on, you know, of mostly of players who, who barely played this season or didn't play at all. And teams made decisions. They made judgments so they will make them again. Just recognize how much money these teams believe they've lost. I don't want to get into the debate about whether they have or haven't, but we do know that their revenue streams have been completely shut off. We can agree on that. And so, so many players next winter who are used to making X better get used to making Y. You know, you, you might have been going along making $5 million or $8 million or whatever. You, you'll be working for $1 million. You'll be You'll be working for the minimum. If you get a job, you'll, you'll see more non-tenders than we've ever seen in the history of baseball. So that'll be part of the evaluation process too, is just the revenue streams this year and even next year, if the seats aren't full, which is what teams seem to anticipate, are going to be completely different than what we've seen and what teams have known. And they're going to make this judgment. We can't afford the kind of payrolls that we've had. Um, we've made, we've, we've, guaranteed some players money based on assumptions about what our revenue streams would be um, those assumptions those projections are now way off that's going to be part of it too this you know like this thing doesn't end when Rob Manford announces hey good good news we got a schedule the ripple effects keep on coming how scared should a Mookie Betts or from an Astro standpoint a George Springer be about Whatever the heck this free agent market's going to look like in October, November, December, Jason. Well, I don't know what they dreamed of making. I mean, we've heard a lot of $400 million projections, predictions for Mookie. No chance. Uh, if I, you know, if I were them, I'd take one-year deals, stay where they're at, uh, and then see what the economics look like in a year course that'll be a labor year right that's gonna go well <laughs> so um they're not they're, they're just are no good scenarios but ask anybody is Mookie Betts going to get 400 million dollars I, I haven't found anybody who thinks he's going to get 100 million um I, again I like if I were those players I'd just take a one-year deal make the best of it I don't know I, I don't think there's there's a good outcome for any marquee free agent. And the next tier down and the tier after that, uh, good luck to him. Yeah, I, I think if we thought two years ago free agency was slow, um, <laughs> you know, I fear I fear that this is going to be even slower. And like you said, twenty December 2021 is when the next CBA is up. So if you take a, a one-year deal, then you're running into that as a free agent. The next off season, so yeah, it's just, baseball's not a good spot to, to put it <laughs> put it mildly. These um, are really good times. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Well, we, we 
I don't know how we get to some. I don't know how we get to some place where players and owners, the union, and the commissioner's office feel like they have a partnership, but we could not be farther away from that now. And we gotta. I mean, the sport has to figure out some way to get get to a different place from where we are now because I you know I've covered a lot of labor talks this isn't even technically one of them and it's never been worse like I I really honestly think they'd have a hard time agreeing now whether they're going to meet via Zoom or Google Hangout <laughs> <laughs> Well I have I have one way they can make it better and they could find common ground um Yes Ken Rosenthal for commissioner Jason Stark for union head. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, those jobs aren't open. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> and then I'd have to go head to head with that Ken Rosenthal. Yeah, that'd be that'd be well, tough. That's, huh? that's a t- that's a tough fate. <laughs> sorry, it's so, for the good of the sport. Come on. It is okay. Well, <laughs> get back to me when uh, when those jobs are open. Okay, I will. I definitely will. We'll have you back on the podcast to uh, go over your your campaign. Um, Jason, thank you very much for joining us today. This was a very uh, insightful commentary on where we stand. Uh, on, you know, unfortunately, it's not a great place where we stand. But thank you for joining the Crawford Talks, and uh, hope to see you writing about actual baseball games very soon. Boy, that would be great. Uh- it was, you know, the last time I actually saw a baseball game was in your very stadium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I wonder when the next one I'll get to see is. <laughs> but yeah. let's, hope, let's hope we're all hanging around and enjoying the sight of baseball. Look forward to it. Let's hope. But uh, until then, thank you. Thank you again for coming on. And everyone, be sure to check out Jason's latest column.